0: had began his ministry. Let that be a testament to each and every one of us what Galatians chapter 6 says. Let us not be weary and well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. 30 years of preaching the word of God to people that mocked him. 30 years of preaching the word of God to people who were trying to make a plea deal with God. God didn't want more of what they had. God wanted more of them. That is what God requires of all of us this morning. More of us. He's not looking for your tithe. By the way, the tithe is not something he's looking for. It's already his. He's not looking more of what we have. He's looking for more of our service in the ministry wants us to behave like we've been impacted by this loving God that he is. So here we come to this book of the Minor Prophets and we are troubled by the fact that people who claim the name of God are living so wickedly. How could they be removed from this great God that had delivered them? Recorded here in chapter 6, in which we'll get into this morning, is the message that was preached that would bring revival in the land. Chapter 2 of Micah, though he cries out to the people of Israel, how are you all devising iniquity? How are you doing this? How are you taking your neighbor's field by force? Violently, the scripture says. How do you oppress a man, how do you oppress my heritage? How is it that you're taking the present houses from these widows? How is it that you've taken away my glory from these children? And after these cries and after the charges, the Lord proclaims here in chapter six when he brings the children of Israel into what we would say is a courtroom. In the first three verses, the Lord brings forth his witnesses. His proclamation is that he has a controversy with Israel. And who he calls to the witness stand is the mountains and the high hills. Come and stand before the children of Israel. He said in verse 3, All my people. He has the mountains and the hills standing here. Now he calls unto the people in verse 3 and says, Oh, my people, how have I wearied thee? What have I done unto thee? In the testament, in this opportunity to testify against God in the midst of his creation, he challenged them in the end of verse 3 testify against me. Tell me what I've done that has brought you to a place where you live like you've despised my name. Tell me what I have done unto you that would make you forsake the love that I have given for you. Tell me what you what I have done unto you. Am I not the one that delivered you out of Egypt? Am I not the one who did all this for you? And with no answer that had come up from the people, And there was nothing to say in any manner where God has ever come short with no answer from the people about how God has ever failed them. And by the way, a testament even in our own life. God has never failed us. He's never come up short. No matter what reasoning you make up that God didn't answer the prayers that you would like, it does not mean that he's come up short in supplying in your life. And when Israel couldn't argue with them, When Israel said, when God said testify against me, and Israel could not testify. He takes them into verse 4. For I brought brought you out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you out of the house of being a servant. I was the one who sent Moses unto you. I was the one who sent Aaron. I was the one who sent Miriam to lead you out of bondage. All my people. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to verse 5 and he says, Remember when the wicked king Balak, the king of the Moabites, when when he hired under contract Balaam to come and prophesy a curse unto you? Remember when this happened, when he came and as Balaam came and he tried to fulfill that, what Balak had hired him to do? He stood on the side of the mountain and as he looked out upon God's people, he didn't prophesy a curse. He prophesied a blessing unto the people. God said, remember that? Remember when people were up against you and I turned what they had sought to do you ill and I turned it into a blessing? I did that. No one else did that. You know what Balaam said to Balak? I I know you want to cause harm upon them. I know you want destruction upon them. But the Lord has something else to say about this matter. If you want to draw them into sin, Balaam would say. He would even go on to say. If you want to draw them into sin, if you want to conquer God's people, Balak, this is what you have to do. You have to pull God's people into idolatry. You got to seduce their men. You got to draw them into fornication. Balaam, Balaam, if you want to beat God's people, that's exactly how you do it. But what does the Lord say? He says, there in the end of verse 5, Oh, my people, remember now what Balaam. King of Moab consulted with Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gigal that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Now, on the outside, you may say that doesn't mean much to you, but Shittim was not the place that they were meant to be. The was the place where they were set out and the Moabites would come upon them and draw them into idolatry. They would draw them into sin. They would draw them into fornication. This is the place that they were drawn into this sin. And what God is saying, remember there? Remember even when Balak did this? Remember even when you fell into sin? Was I not merciful upon you? Was I not good to you? Did I not show you my love even in this situation? Even when you were worshiping idols, did I not protect you? Did I not love you? Not only from Shittim, but to Gilgal. Shittim was on the east side of the Jordan. Gilgal was on the west side of the Jordan. Shittim was outside of Canaan. Gilgal was inside of Canaan. Shittim was the last stop before the promised land. And Gilgal was the first stop in the promised land. Here's what God is saying. I am the one who got you from there, wandering in the wilderness, into the promised land. No one else did that but me. Testify against me who brought you here. Testify about what I have come up short with you. And by the way, he has done the same for you, and he has done the same for me. Even in my sin, God had mercy upon me. Even when I was out wandering in the wilderness of sin, God looked down even in my sin and had great mercy upon me. And even in the moment where he had the right to put down judgment upon me, to exact justice upon my life, he guided me all the way from the wilderness. And one day, his promise is that he will safely guide me just over the Jordan River into glory land. That is the promise God is not come up short even when the prince and the power of the air would love to pronounce a curse upon us. Even when the prince and the power of the air would like us to believe that we have gone so far that the Lord can't even use someone like us with our past. The Lord says, not so. That's my child. And Satan may try to make our past troubled, but we are guaranteed the course, the glory land. He closes out verse 5 and he says, I did all that, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Name them, did you not satisfy them? Then how are you in sin? Verse 6 offers a response to the Lord. Here, Israel was condemned in this situation. The Lord had called them into the courtroom. They had nothing to testify against God. And yet, though they had nothing to testify against God, They, in return, here offered up this unto the Lord in verse 6 Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with 10,000 of rams or with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? For the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul. Here they are, they're offering a plea deal with God. What do you want? What do you want to remove the transgressions of our sins? You want some oil? calves, Firstborn? They're trying to make a plea deal about what they can give God besides themselves. I'm afraid that we've ended 2022 going into 2023 that there are a whole lot of people who proclaim the name of Christ and they're still looking to make a deal with God. Anything but me. Anything but more of myself. Anything but more of me, Lord. Israel had found themselves trying to cut a deal. They were guilty of immorality. They were guilty of greed. They were guilty of theft. Sin I would like to be more for God. I would like to do more for God. But you know what? In the meantime, until I can free up more time, at least I'm being faithful and giving my tithes. Uh, You know, I I don't make it to service like I want to, but hey, at least I made it to service once once a week. You know, listen, when I arrive there, at least I participate when I do because at least I sing in the choir and all the while in our minds. It's not because he deserves what we have. It's not because he deserves our tithes. It's, we don't show up here because he deserves our worship and we want to worship him. It's not because we arrive here and in the choir because we want to sing unto him. It's that we arrive here and do all these things, kind of checking the block to see if this will pacify the transgressions of our wicked lives outside of the house of God. We're just trying to meet requirements to appease God's wrath. After they offer up this plea deal with God, what are you willing to exchange? How can we work this out, God? How can we work this out with you? Here's your pick. The Lord responds with Micah saying, He, mini Micah, has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. God said, I didn't ask for your possessions. I never asked for your rivers of oil. I never asked for your burnt offerings or your firstborn. I asked that you would stop playing around and start living like you serve a God who's been nothing but good to you. Hear me, O Israel. I didn't send Micah to you for concessions. Stop offering for me concessions. I sent Micah unto you so that you would change. I want change. I didn't send the man of God so that you would uh, start ramping up your offerings. I didn't send the man of God to give you that which was popular in society. I didn't send the man of God to give you that which is convenient in society. I sent the man of God unto you so that you would know what I require of you. I pray in 2023, we're far better than we were in 2022. I pray that we end this year and as the Lord looks upon us, He doesn't say, look down and say, Why are we living that way? Why are you doing those things? Why are you so unsatisfied? Have I not been good? Have I not shown mercy? Why are you misbehaving? Haven't I been faithful? God has made His case. And the truth is, we are all guilty. We're all guilty at times of living an unsatisfied Christian life. We're all guilty. At times, as we go out of here, we forget that this church service has nothing to do with you when it's all about him. We leave here disgruntled at times, like, well, I wish I would have got more. That's because you came here looking for something for you instead of trying to give something to him. What's wrong with us? We have to get back to the perspective that when we arrive here, it's all about him. Why does it bother us when we fail our secular job and fail to meet their requirement? It bothers us. Oh, oh, I hope they don't write me up. When we make a mistake and we don't do something that our wife asked us to do or our spouse asked us to do, oh, it was a big, I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to let you down. But yet when we fail God, When we fail to meet his requirements, that which he's required of us to do good, to live honestly, to be just, to walk humbly with God, to to love mercy, it seems that it doesn't bother us at all. And so here in verse 8, the Lord says first, do justly. This is what he requires of us, that we find ourselves this year being honest, Doing that which is honest. Doing that which is just. Finding ourselves on the good side of matters. Amos said in Amos chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, Seek good and do not evil, that ye may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as ye have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. Notice even more, he, doesn't, he does not say, know what justice is. That's not what he says. He said, to do justly. Well, there's a difference. Now, I don't like to get involved in all the drama and the land and the politics. Especially, I don't like to involve it in the pulpit. But there is a perfect example of a situation that troubled me not too long ago in our land there was people who were positionally placed in authority who mishandled the authority that they had, and it costed the life of an innocent man. Now, in the costing of the life of this innocent man, people were up in arms. I get that. I know justice. That was, justice needed to be served. But the problem was, when I got on Facebook, as I scrolled through Facebook, I seen believers... Who profess the name of Christ, masking up like bandits and being involved in riots and crowds who were burning cars and burning buildings. That is not doing justly. That's not doing justice at all. That's the difference between knowing justice and doing justice. He says here, do justly. Do justly. If we, if we read Micah again, it brings us to this great struggle. Right? Because we say to yourselves, I mean, even on Facebook, I seen this. People said anybody who professes the name of Christ and is out there burning cars and burning buildings, they're not Christians at all. God's never saved them. And yet, when we read Micah, we find people who profess the name of Christ. Not only do they profess the name of Christ, but God claims them. And you know what they find out about them? They're doing wicked in the bed, they're robbing widows, they're killing people, they're they're taking other people's possessions, and yet not only do they profess the name of God but God claims them see there's a difference that we have to get to there is a difference between knowing what's right and doing what's right he's called us back to this place where we do justly listen the world may lie but it doesn't mean you have to the world may steal but it doesn't mean you have to the world may cheat but it doesn't mean you have to Uh, Uncle Sam may say it's legal, but what does the word of God say? What does God say about this matter? He goes on to say in the second part of verse, say, love mercy. Now, why would he tell them to love mercy? Probably because they have gotten so much of it in their own life. I mean, if we read in verse 3 and 4 again, we are reminded about how much mercy God has poured out upon his people, Israel. And if we go to Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, we are reminded about how much mercy is poured out upon us. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to what? His mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. It was his mercy. We could not have been saved unless God had showed mercy upon us. Grace is getting what we do not deserve, this unmerited favor of God. But mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Micah says, we should love mercy. Now, when he says love mercy... It means not only to say that we shall love the fact that we received mercy in our own life. But when he says love mercy, it brings forth this idea that we shall love to show the mercy that we received. We shall love to show it to others. And as a reminder, we were no better than the children of Israel. Matter of fact, I believe the description of Ephesians chapter 2 says that it seems in the painting that we were just as bad, if not worse. He said, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He said, you, according, you were walking according to the course of this world. You were in service to the prince of the power of this air. You have the spirit of disobedience inside you who once lived in the lust of this flesh, fulfilling your desires. And if he doesn't bring it to a close, what worse could be said when he brings it to a close and he says in verse 3, you were the children of wrath. What a dismal thought about how God viewed us. But, in the fourth verse of chapter 2, he said, but God... Who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. It's easy to say that it's easy to give forth love when we are constantly reminded about how much love we received. You see, revival would come in the nation of Israel. It was the great revival. The hearts would weep. They would tear down the idols. They would tear down the high places. Their hearts would be again focused on God. Well, what brought them there? To be reminded of how good God was to them. To be reminded that God was the one that delivered them from bondage. To remember it was God that showed this great love upon them. And to remember that God is only saying, love me, walk with me. That is what he requires of us. You know what I found in 2022? There were people who wronged me. Yes, factually. There were people who said things about me. You know what? It hurt my feelings. But I'm purposing in my heart for 2023 these words, love, mercy. That even when someone does not deserve it, Even when I know that someone is in a definite wrong against me. Instead of swelling up in my pride. By the way, others said, are you going to let it slide? Are you going to let it go? And in your heart, you're worrying. But in 2023, I'm going to look forward and say, I'm going to love mercy. Even when they're in the wrong, it's mercy. I'm going to love mercy thirdly here in closing. He said, walk humbly. With thy God. Hear what Micah says walk humbly with God. That's not what he says there. Walk humbly with thy God. Let us also walk humbly with God in 2023, not lagging behind nor running before, but walking with our God hand in hand, like Enoch walked with God. I pray that even in this year, we don't try to satisfy our minds that anything we do will please God. There's nothing we can do that will bring pleasure to God, except do justly. Walk humbly with thy God and love mercy. When Israel received this message, you know what happened? Revival. When Israel received this message, the people of God's hearts were turned again to the Lord and they gave themselves back to God. That's the call for all of us this morning. That's it. That's it. If you want revival for us again, if you want revival in the Witten Place Baptist Church, it's gonna take you stop focusing on yourself. And start focusing on God. It's going to take us stop trying to focus on what we can attain. And start focusing on our walk again. Start focusing on loving mercy. Start focusing on walking humbly with our God. Is he not our God? I mean, what do you really want? Have you sat back and asked yourself what you really want from God this year? What do you want? What do you want from God in 2023? Do you want anything? Are you satisfied with your relationship? Have we gotten so cold that our hearts ain't even stirred up at all about what it means to burn in our hearts for him? When is the last time we said, I'll not do nothing today until I see his face? I talked about this even last week that, you know, Daniel said that he ate no pleasant bread until he found God's face. Ezra said that he set his heart to seek the Lord. Nehemiah, as we covered even this morning in Sunday school, when he heard about the destruction of the land, he set his heart to seek God's face. What will it take for us again to seek God's face? What will it take for us again to be broken over the condition of our nation, over the condition of our families, over the condition how sin has run rampant in this world? What will it take for us to seek his face again? What will it take? What will it take for us to get to a place to be sold out? Sold out. What will it take for God to be number one in your life positionally? What is hindering us from seeing who he is in our life? Who is hindering you? What is hindering you? I have a very aggressive prayer in 2023, and it is a prayer that scares me. If I have it in my life and it's hindering from me getting to you, then get it out of the way. I don't want to burn out of my Christian life because I don't get to enjoy the excitement that I once had for serving the Lord. I don't want to grow cold in ministry. But you know what happens as you're serving the Lord? And you allow other things to creep in and you allow other things to take place. And as you allow other things to have priority in your life, slowly but surely this happens. The things that used to excite you about the word of God, they don't excite you no more. The, the, the communication with the Lord, when you read the word of God, you don't hear it like you used to. The spirit's not working in you like you used to. I didn't say he wasn't indwelling in you. I said, he's he's not working. I said, you have fouled communication. You've corrupted it. It's messed up. One time I worked at this company called Smithfield Foods. We were all maintenance men. And when we were there, there was the repeater. The repeater broke down. So whenever they was trying to page maintenance for work, we didn't hear it. Because the... The bank in which all uh, information was received was corrupted. So is the presence of sin in our life. It corrupts the bank of communication. You cannot run into the presence of our Lord in the Holy of Holies, saturated in sin, covered in sin, smelling like the world. Listen, I pray for all of us in 2023 that we recognize and remember How sweet it was in the days where we tasted the Lord. How sweet it was when we used to walk with the Lord. And whatever it is, I pray that we set our hearts to it, to seek his face. And when we get there, when we get to that place, we'll experience revival again. But also remember this. Remember this. It was the entire nation of Israel that turned from their sin. And that's how revival came. People holding on to sin, holding on to bitterness, holding on. What you're saying is this. You've made a personal commitment about your sin, and this is the personal commitment. You said, I am personally committed to fulfill and cling to this sin, and this sin means more important to me than having revival in the house of God. Is that how much you love your sin? Is that how much we love our sin? Is that how much we love the things that we're involved in? Listen, it doesn't matter whether you sin in the house of God, you are a part of this house of God. And if you are sinning outside of this building, it still infects and affects the church. We have to get back to a place where we have personal accountability and recognize the entire nation of Israel turned from their sin. And God wrought a mighty revival. And until we get there, I can't bring this. I can't bring revival. I can't. I I wish I could. I I would love to bring it every week. I I wish I had the abilities at times like Elijah did to call down fire from heaven so that everyone could be reminded about how great and how mighty and how powerful God is. But I don't. All I have is the ability to do is the same thing that God set Micah to do. God set Micah to go before the nation of Israel and said, this is what the Lord requires of you. To do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We lift your name up and magnify it, Lord. I pray that you'll do a mighty work here again. That you'll bless our church again Lord I pray that you search our hearts Lord and see if there be any wicked way in us search our hearts and see if there be something that prohibits revival Lord convict us let us not escape it Lord may it burn inside of us until we get it out Lord may you do whatever it takes to seek your face make us fruitful again make us fill the baptismal every week that your name may be glorified, that your name may be magnified, that honor may be brought to your name, that your power may be known among the heathen, that you still are the God who delivers people out of bondage. Lord, I give thanks to you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.